You say, Pastor Phil, what is the sermon about today? Well, as you leave today, I want you to be able to remember one thing. I want you to remember that you can trust God against all odds. You say, that's it. That's your sermon. Yes, this is it. When you walk out today, when you leave this church service, this is the point. You say, how many points do you have in your sermon? Several. But what is the point you want us to remember, remember this morning? I want you to remember that you can trust God against all odds. How many of you think that's true? Say amen. Well, can you say it with me? I can trust God against all odds. I'm having fun this morning. I'm not supposed to have this much fun, but this two, these two right here, would you teach them how to say this? I can trust God against all odds. That's pretty good. Now you teach them how to do it. Ready? These two, ready? I can trust God against all odds. That's not just a statement. It's a truth. Now this section, ready? Say it again. I'm having way too much fun. Let's, let's do it again. Ready? I can trust God against all odds. That's the sermon. So let's just, uh, let's just have a prayer and we'll go home. Okay. No. I want you to turn once again to the passage we were in last week in John chapter 11, and we're going to look at this passage again. We celebrated the resurrection of the Lord Jesus from the dead last Sunday. Here we are again. It's Sunday again, and that's why we meet on Sunday, because we're once again, we are just rejoicing that we serve a risen Savior. Now, I can't leave John chapter 11 without examining examining it just a little bit closer. I've been here in this passage many, many times, and I'm sharing it today. I have preached this to others, and I have lived it and preached it to myself. There are some points of application in John chapter 11 and the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus that just leap off the page. It will encourage your heart almost beyond anything else I can say to you this morning if you just dwell on what the passage says to us. The application is so very, very clear. So tune in for a minute. If this sounds like something I've said before, then sometimes what you've said before you need to say again because of the importance. John 11 is long. We're not going to read it completely, but we are going to read a portion and we are going to read this portion. It's all about faith and all about the glory of God. And I want to talk about to build our faith and to glorify God from these verses. So stand this morning, John chapter 11, stand, you're getting your exercise and I'm so thankful. You're up this morning, got to warm it up in here. It's cold outside. Isn't the weather great? It's just wonderful. So um, we're going to warm it up. Let's, uh, I'm going to ask you to let me read the passage this morning. It's a little lengthy. So you just watch, read, Hold it in your hand. If you have a Bible, look at it on the screen. Let me read through it for you this morning. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, Lazarus, was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. 
Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. That you may believe, nevertheless, let us go to him. That's a startling statement that Jesus made in verse 14. He says, Lazarus is dead, verse 15, and I am glad. That's kind of amazing. Well, there's something here a lot more than what meets the eye in the first read. And I want us to think about this today. I want you to know that you can trust God against all odds. Father, add your blessing to the preaching and teaching of of your word today. I pray that you'd anoint both the hearers and the one that's speaking. I pray that you would bless our time and then help us to apply this amazing, amazing truth to our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. You know, our faith is consistently put to the test, and God seems to repeat that examination often. How many of you ever had your your faith tested in your life? Just raise it up. All right, I have. I've said this before. Faith that cannot be tested can't be trusted. Faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. Everybody wants to be an overcomer, but we don't want anything to have to overcome. And so it's an amazing passage of Scripture where these beloved friends of his went through a terrible time of testing. So we're going to look at that. Now, um, when we read in the book of James, it talks about the trial of our faith and testing. And he says this, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's kind of like this. James says, he says it this way. Now, when the trial comes and the pressure builds, just rejoice, clap your hands and say, bring it on because I'm going to be better after this. So the question is, who does that? Well, I don't know about you, but I, I don't put my hand up first when it's trouble, trials, difficulty, heartache, hardship. I don't say, hey, you know, Lord, let me do it. I, I don't know about you, but I just don't do that. Um, now, when I was in school, it was a different story. I used to spend more time in the office and get in more trouble with the teacher because as soon as she would start saying, I wonder, or I want to ask, as soon as she'd do it, I'd throw that hand up and put one knee in the chair and just jump, me, 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 me. I didn't even know what she was going to ask. And I, I was that way, but I don't do that. When it comes to, hey, Lord, put me to the test. I, I, I don't do that. I, I don't know if any of you do, but I just don't do it. We need to do rest assured of something that even though trials, troubles, tribulations, persecution, difficulties, heartaches, and you name it, even though they do come, that does not cancel out the fact that God loves his own and he loved them to the limit. And let me just say it clearly again this morning. God loves you, and he proved it by sending his son to die, on our, die in our place, to die for our sins. God loves you. Jesus loves you. So what's this scenario? Sickness had hit the home of the people that Jesus loved. He was at that point about 20 miles away in a place called Bethabara. Uh, this is where John had been baptized, baptizing, and he retreated there. It's on the other side of the Jordan, on the, what is today the nation of Jordan's side. He was on that side, and he had run away over there, or he had escaped to that location because at the Hanukkah celebration, the fiesta, the celebration of lights, they were trying to trap him and catch him, and so he escaped from them, and he went across the river. And so there he was, and uh, his disciples were with him, and he was teaching and doing other things. 
And so I have to enter into this statement right here. Lazarus, Mary, Martha, his friends, they've run into this in terrible situation. Lazarus is very sick. I want to say right here that the fact that God loves us and that we love him is no guarantee that we will be sheltered from the problems and pains of life. Uh, it is not an absence of love uh, that, uh, that, that God loves us whenever we enter into those kinds of things. It's just called life and we live on a sin-cursed earth and this is what's going on. Jesus stated plainly that he loved these three people. In verse number five, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. They were his friends. They hosted Jesus when he was near Jerusalem. They lived in a little town of Bethany next to Bethphage. And every time Jesus would come through, he would stop there. They were his servants. They were his friends. And that makes it kind of hard to explain, doesn't it? Uh, why was this happening? Uh, do you ever find yourself asking the why question? Well, I mean, God, if you're all powerful and all knowing and ever present and you love me and all of that, I mean, why are these things happening to me? Why the sickness? Why the hurt? Why the relationship breakdown? Why, why the economic situation? Why? I mean, you name it. I mean, why is this? I thought you loved me. Well, it's because we, we have this idea that whenever we came to Jesus, we have these expectations that I'm coming to Jesus. He's my God. He's all powerful. And uh, we just expect that he can keep us from all sorts of trouble. I've given you a space to write down a few things very quickly. One, here's some of the expectations that most people have of God. We expect him to keep us from pain. That's the point, isn't it? Uh, we, just, we just feel like, okay, well, this, you know, this mighty God that loves us and uh, he created the universe and certainly he can keep us from these troubles and heartaches. So why did Lazarus, whom you love, get sick in the first place? Verse 5 said, you love him. Why is he sick? You love them. Why do you let their brother be sick? Why? And so the why question is so strong. We expect him to keep us from pain. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but a lot of us have that mentality. Well, if I just pray and I ask the Lord, then he's going to just, he's going to keep all the difficulties away in our life. Something else we expect, we expect him when the problems do come or the difficulties come, we expect him to come to our rescue without delay. Look at verse number six. So when he had heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. We have expectations. We think that he ought to just come to the rescue without delay. Jesus received the message, but he did not come running immediately and uh, do what they asked him to do. We have expectations that God just helps us get out of fixes. He helps us when we're in trouble. Now, when I was a little boy, I had two older brothers. They were quite a bit older. One, the nearest one to me was seven years older. The other one was nine years older, Larry and Donnie. And, uh, I, uh, from time to time, got myself in trouble because I'd get into their stuff. Well, I wanted to shoot basketball. Uh, I had a goal out in the backyard, and I wanted to go and shoot basketball. The ball was flat. They had a pump. The pump had a needle in it. I went in their bedroom where I wasn't supposed to go. And I hunted around until I found that needle on the top of their dresser, that pump and needle on top of the dresser. Well, I didn't know anything. I grabbed that pump, took it, and I, I wasn't smart enough. If you want to know what you do with a needle, you have to wet it. And the best way to wet it is just, you know, spit on the ball. I won't go into that. So, <laughs> so I went in there. I didn't do that. And I got that needle, and I'm jamming it in there. And guess what happened? Broke the needle. So what did I do? I had a prayer meeting. I believed in God. I just believed God could do anything. And I went to my bedroom crying and weeping and wailing and gnashing my teeth. And I said, oh, God, please, please fix that needle. Because my brothers are going to come in here and they're just going to, and boy, you know what? God did not fix that needle. 
And my brothers did come in there and they said, you've been in our room. And boy, I'm telling you, that wasn't the worst of it. On top of that same dresser, that same summer, after July the 4th, uh, we had had a wonderful time with firecrackers and all that stuff, and uh, they had some sparklers left over with some matches. If, mo- if my mother had one rule, it was do not play with matches, period. I mean, that was along with don't lie, don't be lazy, and other things. But don't play with matches. And so, well, mom had gone to the grocery store, and my two brothers were off. I didn't know where they were, and I said, man, I, can, I think I can do this. I'm going to go in and have some fun. It was so much fun. And so out in the front yard, I struck up the match, lit up one of those sparklers, and I'm waving it around, and the fire got down close to my fingers, and it started burning my fingers, and I, and I threw the thing. I'm in the front yard just after 4th of July in Memphis, Tennessee, and it was hot. And there I was, and I threw it over there, and I'm looking at my fingers, and all of a sudden I looked around, and there was this growing, getting bigger and bigger. And I'm watching that, and I said, oh, what am I going to say? I did what any sane person would do. I ran over there, and I was trying to put it out. I couldn't get it out. Oh, it was, it was too dry, and it was going too fast. And my brother came around the corner on his bicycle, saw what was happening, ran up there, grabbed the water hose, put it up. I'm telling you. That thing had grown so much by the time he got it put out, it almost got to the azaleas. My mother had prized azaleas. If those would have burned up, that would have been the, the, I mean, it's Katie bar the door. It's over. I would have been dead. But somehow he got that. You know while that was going on? When I first saw that fire start, you know what I did? I prayed, oh God, put out this fire, put out this fire. And he didn't. You see, I had expectations. How many of you had a few fires in your life you wish God could have put out a whole lot earlier in your life? You had fires, you had trouble, you broke something, you did something, you messed up. And you prayed and God didn't come running without delay. We expect him to. We expect Jesus' promises to not be confusing and contradictory. This is an amazing passage. It says in verse 4, Jesus heard that he was sick and he said, this sickness is not unto death. Verse 11, he says, Lazarus sleeps. Verse 14, he says, Lazarus is dead. What? This sickness is not unto death, but what happened to him? He he died. Well, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand this. Uh, Lazarus sleeps. Lazarus is dead. What gives here? What does this mean? His disciples were perplexed about this. I don't know about you. I've been doing this for 44 years. How many of you think there's some difficult things to understand in the Bible? Would you raise your hand? You thought this meant that, and then you find out over here it says something that seems like this. It's just difficult. Here's something else. We expect him to do what we want, when we want it, the way we ask it. This is what we expect. This is the big one. We expect God to do what we want, when we want it, the way we ask it. The plea for Jesus to come was a clear request for him to heal Lazarus. They all, thought that, they all thought that, including his friends and family. Verse 37 said, everybody that gathered there, all the mourners, they said, well, couldn't he open the blind eyes also have kept this man from dying? So they all, I mean, the only thing they could think of was healing. So let me just stop and take a moment and expound on this. I am often at the bedside of people that are sick and dying. 
I am. I've just, I mean, it's just, you know, it comes with being a pastor. And so you get a call and you go see somebody and, you know, many times it's, it's a sickness that's not unto death. They don't die, but sometimes it's just a very sad situation and their loved ones, maybe a husband, wife, mother, father, son, daughter, they're there with them or a friend and they're just, oh, they're just, you know, they're pouring out their heart to God and they're praying that God would do something for this person. And what is it that they're really praying? What is it that 99% of the time, what prayer is it that people are praying when somebody's laying there? sick and dying. We want God to what? Heal them. You know why that is? Because we're humans and in our humanity, by the way, all of you are, you're in the category of humanity and we have this, we have this way about us of, that we think that the best possible scenario is always that they be healed and they be around a little longer. I mean, and it's normal. I mean, it's right. I mean, what else do we know? We don't know anything else. We don't know what's beyond. We don't know what it's like. We can't imagine. I don't know about you, but when I go see somebody in the hospital, I don't pray. Well, Lord, just go ahead and take them. I don't do that. I don't do that. I go to the hospital. I try to give courage and hope, and I try to pray with them. And, of course, the people are just wanting a little more time with that loved one. And so we pray, oh, Lord, raise them up. Lord, heal them. Well, it's because of our humanity, and it's because of this, because we cannot imagine Our humanity limits our understanding that anything could possibly be better than healing. Here's that startling statement in verse 14. Jesus said to them, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Wow. Let me go to this next point here and turn this thing around and talk about what Jesus expects from us. Jesus expects us to trust him today. Today, this is what the Lord expects of us. I, mean, I could go all the way through the Bible and talk about the whole idea of trusting the Lord in the moment. Trust Him today, in this circumstance, in this situation, under these, under this set of things that are happening to me in my life. I need to trust Him right now, today. This is it. In verse four, Jesus said that what was happening was for God's glory and Jesus himself would be glorified through it. So what we have to come to grips with is Jesus may not do what we expect, may not do things how we expect, may not do things when we expect, but he will do what is good for us and what glorifies him. Jesus will do what glorifies his father and that is good for us. And this is the crux of the whole matter. The Jews... The Jewish leaders were there and they were working hard to prevent the people from believing in Jesus. Now I want to say this to you. The devil is working overtime today to keep the gospel from getting to and through to people. He is working overtime. We, we, we ought to know this. The parable of the soils and the sower, the very first one, it says when the seed of the gospel is sown, it says that the devil comes and takes the seed away before it can have any success or action at all. It doesn't even penetrate the soil. They come, the devil comes and takes it away. The devil is working overtime and he has his minions. He has his workers. He has his people. He has those that are working and that's who these Jewish leaders were. They were doing everything they could to try to stop people from believing in Jesus. The disciples, however, saw the glory of God and they were emboldened in their witness because they accompanied Jesus on this, on this event and they were there when he was raised from the dead. I want you to drop down to verse number 45 and see what else happened. It says in verse number 45, it's way down at the bottom. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. The unbelievers saw the glory of God and some came to believe. 
Chapter 12, verse 11 says the same thing. Do you know what? When God's people look to him in faith and wait patiently in times of testing, the world sees it and God is glorified the most. You know, the world around us is not impressed just because everything's going great for us in our life. And, you know, we're healthy, wealthy, and wise and making plenty of money. And the kids are all doing good and school's great. And they're not impressed with that. Well, you know what they're impressed with? When we do go through terrible times, trouble, difficulty, heartache, heartbreak, relationship breakdowns, we go through those kind of things and our faith remains in Jesus. We may waver, we may wonder, we may cry, but when we go through it with Jesus, the world takes note. Anybody can do well on a smooth sea, but not everybody does well in the storm. But believers who can trust Jesus will get in the boat with you in the storm and keep going. Those are the people that the world takes note of. Many believed. Of course, there were unbelievers who were hardened in their unbelief. It wasn't a lack of evidence because they'd seen all that Jesus has done, uh, but it was, lack of, it was lack of love for him, and also it was an extreme love for their sinful ways. And so these are expectations, both we have toward God and what Jesus has toward us. And so you say, now, Pastor Phil, what's the point here? We know this story. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Some were glad, others were mad. What am I supposed to do with this? What does it say to me? Well, I want you to see this. We're very much like the sisters in this story. We react very much the same way in times of hardship. They believed in Jesus. They loved Jesus. They served Jesus. He was the, they were the stopping point, the wayside station for him as he traveled back and forth to Jerusalem. But now then, they have a present situation, a present circumstance, and it made their faith waver. And they said things like, Lord, if you'd just been here, why didn't you come? We called for you. I thought you loved us. We're like that. We're like these sisters. You know what? We trust Jesus with the past. We trust him with the past. Look up at verse number 20. Now, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She said, Lord, if you'd have just been here. Mary said the same thing in verse number 32 when she finally came out and knelt at Jesus' feet. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. We trusted you with the past. And that's what they're saying. Lord, we trust you could have done something in the past. Well, you know, we're the same way. We believe. We believe many things concerning God and concerning his word that are all things that happened in the past. In other words, I believe this is the word of God, don't you? How many believe this is the word of God? Say amen. Amen. All right, it's the word of God, but this is a past accomplishment of the Lord. I believe that holy men of God were carried along by the Holy Spirit and that they were inspired by God himself. He breathed it out, they breathed it in, they wrote it down. They wrote down what God told them, I believe this is the inspired word of God. And, I believe, and it was all finished by 100 A.D. I believe it for the past. I trust the story of the gospel is true and I've, I've risked everything on it. I believe that there was a, that, that there was a time when the father sent the son through a virgin Mary and he came to this earth. He lived 33 years of perfect life and we celebrated it last week. He went to Calvary in my place. He offered himself as a vicarious, a substitutionary uh, offering for my sin. I was a sinner. He was innocent. I was guilty. He died. He paid my sin debt. I trust that gospel message. I trust and I believe that he died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. I believe that past truth. How about you? Do you believe in that? Amen. I believe in that truth. And I believe that the payment for my sin was made, all of it. 
And we trust that God saved us when we called out to him to forgive us for our sins. So in essence, we have great trust in something that happened years ago, although we are living in two, we're living 2,023 years at least from the events of the cross, the empty tomb, and all those things having to do with at least 2,000 years have passed. But we believe in it. We have great faith in past events. Something else, like the sisters, we trust Jesus with the future. Look at verse number 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. What did she say? This is Martha. She says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Make sure you're getting this now. I know you could have done something if you'd just been here. You could have done something yesterday. And I know that you're coming in the future. I know that there's a general resurrection. I believe it, and I believe it too. I'm standing up here this morning, and I'm still one of those people that believe every word of this Bible. I believe that Jesus is coming back one day. How about you? I believe there's going to be a trumpet sound, a voice of an archangel. The dead in Christ are going to rise. We that are alive and remain are going to be transformed. We're going to rise together. We're going to meet the Lord in the air, and we're going to go to a place called heaven. And it has golden streets and gates of pearl and a river of light and the water of life and the tree of life and we're going to serve him. There'll be no tears, pain, sorrow, sickness, death. It's never, I believe in this. I believe in the future with Jesus. How about you? You know where I'm going. We trust heaven is real. We trust that our name is in the book of life. We trust that either we will rise again or be taken in the rapture. We trust that he's coming and he's bringing a reward with him. I love this, Isaiah 40, verse 10. Behold, the Lord shall come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him. Isaiah 62, 11, indeed the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him. He's not just coming to just receive us and let us just go with us by the skin of our teeth in the heaven. He's going to reward us for the service that we've given him here on earth. Listen, I believe Jesus is coming. I trust Jesus with my past sins. I trust Jesus with all of my future hopes. But like the sisters, we doubt Jesus in the present. We doubt Jesus in the present. I was a little boy trying to learn how to ride my bicycle. My brother Don got on the bicycle. Maybe it's one of those. You guys remember the bicycles that had what we call a banana seat on it, big long seat on there. High handlebars in the front. Oh, they were cool. Little tiny front wheel. How many of you know what I'm even talking about? You kids got your stuff. We had our stuff, all right? And so, I mean, we, 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 we had the banana seat. And, and my brother's on the back, and I was sitting right on the front. And he said, all right, let's learn how to ride this bicycle. He said, I'm going to pedal. Put your hands up here. And he put his hands on top. I said, no, no, no. What's your hand? I just want to drive. He said, okay, hardhead. So I started driving, running the fence, running the tree and everything. And he said, let me, let me help you till you get this balancing thing down. And he put his hands on top of my hands. You know what we do? What we want to do is we want to trust God with the past and we want to trust God with the future. But once we get, a hand, we get our hands on the handles of life, we think we got it and we don't need it. We don't trust God with the present, especially when we get in deep water, big trouble, make a mistake, or we have sickness or a heartache. We just, we just don't trust. How about these girls here? Verse 39, Jesus said to them, where have you laid him? Where is Lazarus? 
Well, he's out here outside of town. He's in the tomb. And he says, okay, let's go out to him. So they're going to go out there. And all the people, verse 36 and 7 said, all the people said, well, look how he loved him. Then he goes on to say, Jesus wept. And of course he was touched. We talked about it last week. But they go out there and they're just, everything's wonderful. They thought maybe Jesus is just going to go see where he lay so he could weep there at the tomb with all of them, comfort everybody that was still around. And Jesus said something radical. He stepped and he says, okay, uh, there it is. He says, roll the stone away. Remove the stone, Martha. <laughs> Jesus, he's been dead four days. I talked about this last week, three days, and they made sure no spirit there after three days. Fourth day, rot has set in, corruption has set in. Jesus, if you remove that stone, you're going to stink up the place. They thought you just couldn't do it. Here's what they did. They believed he could have done something if he'd been there. They believe he's going to do something in the future at the resurrection. They did not believe he could do anything about today's problem. Faith for the past, faith for the future. And I'm just here to announce to you that they and we need faith for today. Right here, right now. We're famous for this. I don't know what in the world I'm going to do. God knows what he's going to do. Faith for today. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is real faith for tough times. We all practice the same kind of faith far too often. We believe Jesus could have helped. We believe that Jesus will help in the future. But verse 38 through 40 tells us, tells us vividly, but do we believe that he can do anything today? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. They, they let him loose from his grave clothes and he lived. He did something amazing. You know something I want to say to you this morning and I want you to carry it with you right here, right now, today, in your situation, under your circumstances, in the pain that you're suffering, in the relationships that you're going through that are not working out well. I just want, to know, I just want you to know this. You can trust God against all odds. You can trust God against all odds. You know, I've asked you to read through your Bible, a new version of the Bible this year. Pastor Matt and I have been talking about this nonstop as well as others. I've asked you to just read through. Here's, here's a new assignment. He said, are we going to start over in Genesis? No, just keep going right where you are. But here's what I'd like you to do. I would like you to underline, highlight, or otherwise mark every time you come to a passage in the scripture where those people learn that they could trust God against all odds. Trust God. Just highlight it. Mark it over there. What is that? T-G-A-A odds. Just write that in there. Trust God. And just every time you come to it, write it down. You know what you're going to be? You're going to be amazed. When Jesus told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, he wasn't saying, I'm going to help you in the future. I could have helped you in the past, but we'll just have to suffer through this together. No, no, no. He says, I am the resurrection. Noah, trust me, there's going to be a flood, so build a boat. Abraham, trust me, I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing, so pack up and move out of of the Chaldees. Abraham, trust me now, Sarah will have a son of her own, so go build a bassinet. Abraham, trust me, Isaac is your son of promise, but give him to me. Saddle the donkey, carry the wood, carry the fire, and you will come back. Moses, trust me, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. So head down there and go see Pharaoh. Moses, lift your staff up and lead the people across the Red Sea. And they walked across on dry ground. Israel, trust me, I can spread a table in the wilderness. So get your nets ready to catch all the quail that I'm going to blow in from the Red Sea. Joshua, trust me, the walls of Jericho are going to fall down. Just do what I tell you. March around one time every day for six days and seven times on the, on the seventh day and the 
walls will come down. Trust me today. I could go on and on. Elijah, go to Zarephath to the widow. She's going to feed you. Elisha, tell Naaman to go wash in the Jordan and dip seven times and I'm going to heal him. Just trust me. How about what we've already seen in the book of John? You say, you act like you're getting excited about this. Man, every time I get the chance to tell somebody you can trust God, I get excited. Fill the water pots with water and pour out the wine. That's faith for today. Hey, Mr. Nobleman, go home. Your son is healed. Just trust God against all odds. Mr. Paralytic, 38 years, lying here at the pool of Bethesda. Get up, pick up your mat and go home and you can trust God. And Philip and the rest of you men, have these 5,000 men and wives and children sat down and pass out what I give you from this sack lunch. Trust me, there's going to be plenty. And hey, boys, I know you're in a storm. It is I. Do not be afraid. I will bring peace to your circumstances, and I will bring you to the place you're headed. Just trust me against all odds. Hey, son, you have never seen the light of day. Stand up. Put this clay in your eyes. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he went, and he was given his sight, and he learned that he could trust God right then, right there with that circumstance in his life. And Mary and Martha and all of you people, I see you're hurt. I feel your pain, but remove the stone. Trust God. So this morning, I know it's not about the lack of wine and it's not about paralysis probably or blindness, but I can imagine today that in this group, there may be a lot of people who are blind to what's coming next and you're worried about it. You don't see your way clear. You know, it's like this, you know, I mean, we think we do. We got it planned, you know, kind of like the man with the barns who built bigger. We think we've got it all planned, but I want to tell you between this step and that one, I may not make it. And then I might not make that step. That's all dependent on who, me? No, no. I can trust God today. I can trust him with every step of my life. I can trust him. It may be a relationship is broken down and you don't see any hope, a marriage or a parenting relationship or partners in business. Maybe it's sickness or death, death of a maid, a parent, a child, a sibling. Maybe you're in a storm I want you to know this, you can trust God with yesterday and tomorrow and you can trust God with today because you can trust God against all odds.